Hello, I'm David Moskrop. Welcome to Open to Debate. In June, Olivia Chow was elected mayor of Toronto. She faces an all-too-often complacent city with a hefty budget shortfall and a series of long-standing policy challenges and failures. Affordable housing, transit, the drug poisoning crisis, taxes, and parks spring to mind, but there's plenty more, too. Chow's performance may be evaluated on its own merits or demerits and against her predecessors, too, but her time as mayor will also stand in as a test of left-wing governance. Fairly or unfairly, her mayoralty is a part that will be taken by some as typifying the whole. So can Olivia Chow remake Toronto? My guest on this episode of Open to Debate is Saman Tabasinajad, Acting Executive Director at Progress Toronto. Let's start with a look back to June and July, because expectations for Olivia Chow's mayoralty started high among the left and even among centrists. There was a pretty broad coalition of people who supported her. Uh, I'm curious which of your uh, which of her priorities stood out to you as the most important at the time and whether that still holds now a couple of months later. Well, I think the biggest, most transformative policy promise or platform plank is really making sure that the city of Toronto is building, like gets it back into the building business of building housing um, and affordable housing and no longer relegating that just to the private sector. I think that alongside like a new fiscal deal for the city are two of the more most consequential. And I do think if those two are delivered alongside some other service improvements in the next three years, that will be a pretty successful mayoralty. And 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 I do I do think that those issues still are persisting. And I actually give her credit that Mayor Chow has continued to push forward those things. Like I think there's been like two city council meetings since her inauguration. And those two things have been top of mind. First steps have already been taken because she put put forward um, an, an item on that agenda and then also the fiscal deal. So there's this like a whole like suite of financial tools in the last city council that she was able to pass. Not, you know, n- no one gets scared. <laughs> Those like taxes aren't going to come, going to be impacting people right away. But we've taken the next step and that's massive. It really, to me, showed that, like, I don't know what John Tory has been doing the last, like, eight, nine years, because there's so many things that just administratively just didn't get done. Um, But now we're seeing an administration that does, that is pushing along some of these bigger agenda pieces. This reminds me a little bit of, of the classical left challenge of every time the left wins, which is not particularly often (laughs) but when it wins there's a real feeling that it has to outperform the center or the right just to get to the baseline of of uh of the benefit of the doubt that the center and the right get as a rule right that the left has to be all that much better all that much uh, more responsible that much uh, competent more competent that much faster just to get the benefit of the doubt that the center or the right gets for being, as a rule, much, much worse, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a part of that is just like we're going up against billion-dollar funded 
like media machines that kind of like not I'm gonna say media machines not just like general media but just the general like zeitgeist of hey taxes are bad mm-hmm. uh, the right like the right way or the smart way is like being fiscally conservative um that you know unless like someone is trying to make things better they're 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 kind of holding the line I don't know there's just like this this mentality and I think that is a big um challenge that the mayor the the child administration is facing and the left just faces in general right mm. and the the left also faces that push from like conservatives or the right and also in in a good way um the left that like in the activists who do want to hold the left accountable like a progressive mayor or administration or whatever accountable and that's not bad that's like good that we need that but there does seem to be more like a flurry of attention towards Chow's administration and her mayoralty more so than let's say Tories and much of much of what happened with Tories was like so behind closed doors from my perspective at least because from the left or like the organizations or the activist groups were like completely shut out from Tories um, administration, whereas like we're seeing now, let's say like Acorn Toronto, which is um, a tenants rights group, has had a meeting with Mayor Chow mm-hmm. and they like, tweeted about it or or um, the York Southwestern Tenants Association also had a meeting with like their big rent strike that's going on. So I just it, there's just so much more activity that from the I guess from progressives or that the left and progressives can see from the this like child administration. So that's kind of exciting. To me, that's exciting. Yeah, I think it's wildly exciting. And I want to say before the next question, uh, she wins in June. She becomes mayor, is, igno- is inaugurated as mayor, sits down in the chair in July. So we're we're talking about this a couple of months after the fact. So you know everything I'm talking about today, I want people to keep in mind that we're two months in. So... Uh, you adjust your expectations accordingly because again it's 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 early 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 days but the pace so far has been intense and the as you mentioned the progress on issues is already notable i mean i i was preparing for this episode and thinking about things that were just coming to mind that had come across my radar in the last couple of months thinking that well there seems to be an awful lot of progress in a short period of time so, and I want to get into all that substantively in a couple of minutes. But first, I want to talk about her approach. Before we get into a policy uh, discussion, I want to get into her approach because it seems, as you intimated, to be different than John Tories. It seems to be different than a lot of mayors. Uh, you know, what do you think the strategy is here, and what do you think sets her apart from others beyond, say, just who she's willing to meet with, and perhaps yeah. who she's not meeting with? <laughs> yeah. Um. That's a good point. Well, yeah, I, I do think like if you looked at who Tory was meeting with, a lot of them were registered on the lo- lobbyist registrar, right? So that's all like public information. I remember Matt Elliott, um, he's a city hall watcher, like a great journalist. Um, I'm subscribed to his newsletter. And the first couple of weeks, like Olivia was not meeting with like lobbyists, right? Like the, because he tracks who, who, um, who she's meeting with or who the mayor is meeting with. And I guess I guess that's kind of that to me is very significant. Um, but I, I think that kind of points to 
something that's more exciting is that oftentimes progressives get elected and they completely abandon the grassroots they elected them. Like the most popular example is probably Obama, where he just like completely tossed that aside and then like moved the right in because of that. Um, and to his own detriment, um, it is in many ways like the, or the Democrats in detriment. It's what led to Trump in many ways, like this kind of disillusionment from people who got someone progressive elected. And I think that it's kind of clear, at least, that Olivia or like the child administration is kind of seeing, OK, we, we're not going to redo that. We're not going to get elected with these progressive bona fides and then just completely abandon the grassroots. So then they're then they're even more frustrated and more angry um, that they helped elect someone who they thought was going to be champion on the inside. Right. Um, not to say that, you know, I'm sure that the child administration will have missteps. That's not to say that that won't happen. But the it it is quite, to me, exciting to see, you know, these tenant rights groups, genuine effort to bringing like this approach about bringing the grassroots with her. And that is what she campaigned on. She campaigned on the idea that, hey, I'm the mayor. I, I have a bully pulpit and I have a large megaphone, but I can't bring change on my own. And especially with this city council, and we can probably get into a little bit more with the makeup, there's no way that a progressive mayor can bring change without there being an organized left progressive activist outside that's demanding it. Because we have most most of city council still, they're still Tory aligned, you know, right to center right wing individuals. There isn't a natural progressive majority on council. So she needs progressives like she and that's and she needs like the outside, the the like the public to demand it. Right. And also because like the mayor, as much power as the mayorship has, um, the it does rely on other levels of government to get a lot of things done. Thinking about what what you're you're mentioning with the 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 power of the public and the necessity that the public and the and, and social movements back the child administration but also press the child administration and i want to talk about that later i i think of a, of a theory of pluralist politics in which if you have a democracy in which different groups are vying for power and control and their preferences to get picked up uh, one of the distinctions with john tory to go back to the meeting point seems to be that uh, they're very different communities and movements within the pluralist space pressing on the mayor's office now and expecting results than there were during the Tory years, right? I yeah. mean, uh, which you would expect to see play out in, in different sorts of policies. And it strikes me that the first difference is if we're going to have a public builder that is going to get serious about, about building public housing, well, then that's a very distinct outcome So, toward, compared to, say, you know, making extra time for developers who are going to build single-story uh, you know, or two-story detached houses for middle class and upper class people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that pluralism is important in like ideally in a in a thriving democracy that I'm not sure necessarily, like it's, it's something that we should strive for. I don't necessarily think we're there completely, obviously. Um, but all this to say is those lobbyists are the, like Tory, like the, the lobbyists and the moneyed interests that had, a home in the mayor's office when Tory was in power, 
are still clamoring for influence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't like left. They're not gonna. That's that's something that I think the left um, needs to remember that they're just they're not like well we lost in june we're gonna just you know pack up and go because there's billions of dollars at stake for them mm-hmm. um toronto is a very like there's a lot of there's a lot of money that can be made from the city so i think that regardless of like where olivia or like in the child administration stand there's gonna be an immense amount of pressure from the right right so uh, to kind of take up or do politics as usual. And I think then that's that's where or why it's so important for the left to continue to remain super, to be super um, active um, and in their demands, con- like still follow city council, don't just like sleep. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be less resting on our laurels just because we had like a good one, good election. Um, because they're on the offense now, right? And being on the offense is a lot easier than being on defense from like a like a political perspective. Mm-hmm. And now we are threading the needle of like, okay, we have a progressive mayor, some progressive allies on the inside, not a majority, but we want to be pushing them. And but we also want to be pushing these other like centrist right wing counselors so it 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 is it's a difficult position i think that the left is in especially because um the mayor really only has one vote unless unless she wants to use her strong mayor powers which uh she's already said that she's never gonna like overturn the will of council and i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think it's a smart thing to do because the next time the next mayor comes that they're just gonna like undo everything and that's one of the biggest problems that we've seen like for instance with transit well it's not like david miller push through Tan City, but there wasn't the the public popular support to like be able to push back against when Ford came in and wanted to tear down Transit City. Yeah. Well let's dig into to to transit and a few other issues. I mean it's going to take time to reform Toronto. I mean if, if the administration is successful in doing so, it's going to be because they have over time pursued a progressive agenda. And that's inch by inch, yard by yard. That is a very, very slow, deliberate um, process. But uh, a couple of months in, again, with the the giant caveat that we're only a couple of months in, um, there have been some encouraging policy successes that might set the pace for future outcomes. Uh, Do any stand out to you? Uh, You know, thinking about this, a couple popped in my mind. Her her capacity to work with Doug Ford on the city's finances yeah, that was, was wild. pretty wild. Um, yeah. Getting money to support so, uh, asylum seekers. Uh, anything, anything standing out to you? Yeah, there was that announcement right before Labor Day um, with uh, DC chair Javon Myers that, that, that they're going to be increasing transit levels to 95% of pre-pandemic levels. That's, that's just, that's like huge, right? Um, that money is coming from like the money that was supposed to be operating the Eglinton line, which is obviously not a sustainable source of funding, but it's it kind of does show there there's an interest and a willingness and a desire to creatively solve problems that people have been facing for a really long time. Um, she just announced that there was uh, there are going to be more t- station attendees at transit in transit stations like in TDC stations that. That to me like points to the 
opposite of what John Tory wanted to do and what John Burnside, the former TTC chair, wanted to do. They wanted to bring in more cops. And now we have this like de-escalation or more people kind of uh, approach to safety. Those are pretty exciting. I, I will say I was pretty shocked that I don't know if you watched the press conference right after um, Ford and Chow met, but it was astonishing. Like the tone that Ford was taking was just incredibly um, kind and friendly in a way that I didn't I haven't seen him speak like that with Tory. And he admitted that the city like the city needs funding. Like he said that structurally mm-hmm. Toronto cannot exist without like a new deal. And that is a complete um, departure from how he spoke about it in the past, which was Toronto just wastes money. They just they just need to cut a bunch of services. They're just way too loose with their pocketbook or pocket whatever whatever that expression is. But um, yeah, so that's that that was to me wild. I don't know what happened inside the meeting. I don't know if it has to do with like her popularity and. Ford wanting to cling on to that as like this bombshell of the green belt crisis has been going on. But yeah, I, I have this working theory that Ford a little bit like Trump likes it when people like him and when he gets along with people, cause he feels like they like him. He just changes something, just something just shifts. That's my that that's a little pet theory that I haven't really. No, I, I agree. Out, I think that seems like, to be something about like it's the meeting. Obviously, must have went well. You know, you see the photo of of Doug Ford showing uh, Olivia Chow this painting of Rob Ford that hangs in his office, and she seems engaged, and he seems very very touched to be showing it to her. And and I mean that it's easy to dismiss that, but the capacity to get people to like you across the aisle when your goal is to deliver the goods is a pretty important capacity to have and it seems like so far so good right yeah um i i i laughed because there was um one of my friends messaged me and she's knocked on doors and whatnot and she was like well you know uh olivia took doug ford from like a 4c which is what like you know no there's no way that that he's going to be able to like work with us to like a 2c which is like he's kind of like warmed up he's going to He's gonna. He's might. He might like change his tune a little bit, and I feel like that has to do with the fact that she can be quite disarming. And I think, you know, we a progress Toronto support her in the last election, and and I and I read a lot about like her history, um, and there are these like wild, um, these there's these wild stories that conservative politicians had about her, like Jason Kenney, right, having like warm like a warm relationship with her, even though she was like kind of putting his feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're right. Like being able to disarm people with, with, I don't know, just genuinely maybe being curious about like this thing that they are, they, they covet. Like he called, obviously covets this like portrait of his brother and that, and that being able to create a positive relationship that will feed into wins for the city I, I don't see that being a bad thing um though i think that there are there are like some people who are like frustrated or can be frustrated because they want to see a more be a more um aggressive 
bargaining style. I think. Yeah, there's... let's let's talk about that. I, I want to come back to talk a little bit about housing and transit in a couple of minutes, but but because I wanted to talk about this eventually, let's let's jump to it. It's a natural segue. Uh, can Olivia Chow please the left ultimately, and and does it matter? You know, I mean, because the left's goal. Uh, the the broader left outside the the city hall is goal is to make sure that left priorities are taken seriously by city hall and city councilors and to press an agenda that's true of social movements that's their job their job isn't to be nice to politicians their job is to, to deliver results um but it's going obviously it's going to be a tense relationship at times uh you know if, if she as mayor says okay we're going to build more quadplexes uh, for rental units, we're going to make sure that's a priority and let people, you know, rent out these these uh, divided bits of their house. The left says, "Why are you shilling for landlords?" Um, if she backs a Toronto Transit safety plan that brings in, as you mentioned, lots of attendees, she gets called out for bringing in some new special constables as part of that program. Right? There's just there's there's really nowhere to hide. There's always going to be a, a left counter push to say, "Okay, but what about this?" At the same time, there's, you know, you get close to Ottawa or you get close to Queen's Park because you want more money. And people say, why are you uh, overly friendly with, with the Tories or the Liberals? Do you think ultimately she can walk the fine line between delivering results that improve the city, having a shot at re-election, uh, reaching out to centrist voters whom she will need and centrist councillors whose support she'll need and also keeping the left uh, satisfied with progress. When I say it, it sounds like an awfully tough job. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is. I think that's what makes being on the left very difficult. And I don't, and I, and I, and I think that maybe it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessary for her. Well, let me start here. I don't think as like activists or like the left should ever, like, like you said, it's not their job to be nice to politicians. And I think, I think that probably Olivia Chow would be the first person who'd be like, well, like I'm someone you should hold accountable, right? And I think the difference is from like the left's perspective, instead of being like just frustrated with like the Chow administration, which sure you can be, is but like genuinely be organizing on the ground to to make the case, not from like an intellectual perspective, but from like a like a public popularity perspective like an organizing perspective um that what we're pushing for is the pop was is the good and the winning the winning message or the winning policy or whatever um you know she's never gonna come out and be completely against all landlords like that's just not gonna happen um and there and a part of the reasons why i think the left gets in like myself included are yet disappointed with how politics works, not just, you know, in this mayoralty, but just in general, is is because you're, we're, um, we're striving for an ideal that I think is, is good. Like, I think it's good to be striving for an ideal. I don't think we should feel satisfied until, you know, everyone has what they need. But um, if we shouldn't make it out that, like, this job is, is easy and that, like, those policies will automatically result in the re-election or are possible mm -hmm. um so our job really is is like not only to be critics but to be builders of that popular populist kind of vision that will allow you know not only for olivia child to take up that mantle but for those centrist 
counselors who, you know, there she I think comfortably there are probably nine votes on council, nine, ten, um, if that, uh, that are progressive. You will need to kind of push the other, you know, three, four, how, however, however we can to be able to like take up that that mantle as well. And so how important ultimately are are these external groups to her success? I mean, it sounds to me like they're important in at least two ways. One, keeping her honest and focused on these left progressive priorities, but also pressuring other politicians uh, to come on board. I mean, it sounds to me like there's a, a, a symbiotic relationship there that's that's probably critical to her success in a way that presumably it wasn't critical to John Tory's success. Yeah, I think John Tory won because the average person could not or was not able to like completely follow what was going on at city hall and um he had the veneer of being like a good statesman mm-hmm. someone that they could like they weren't embarrassed of which was what the big problem with rob ford was like this kind of like circus kind of feeling that they may have had and he was much more sly in his cuts and his freezes than like the way that you know rob ford wanted to go after libraries and whatnot um, so I think, I think that, that, that is like the, that was John Tory's base in some ways. And there are people who I know who were incredibly progressive who were like, oh, I voted for John Tory in 2014. I like now that I sit, sit here, I can't believe I did. But I think there is that, that fear that like a lot of people have, okay, if I don't support the centrist candidate, the, the conservative candidate will win. And from um, and that's how, you know, Olivia Chown probably lost in 2014. And and then we're, we're now we're in this other scenario where it's like, I think that the energy that the Chow campaign relied on was a lot of young people, a lot of activists, a lot of people from the grassroots. And for them to be successful in 2026, which in my opinion, they will need to be if we want any meaningful change in Toronto. It's not like we're going to get more of a progressive mayoral candidates to win I, if anything I, I can imagine like you know Ina Bailao coming back into the race or John Tory even I don't know I don't know what he's up to I, I see his face popping in, in everywhere um that will or like a, a very conservative like figure like Anthony Fury come back especially as we're seeing these like anti-trans rallies and the rise of the right wing sweep the country in this way so yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yes, you did. No, and indeed you did. And and I, I share those concerns. I want to close out in the last couple of minutes on, on particular policy areas um, because the pressure to deliver results, particularly on housing and transit, are extraordinarily high. There's always, I, I don't want to, to demean the importance of these things. So I'm trying to think of the proper way to say it. There's always uh, very noticeable issues like, you know, the garbage cans are overflowing. The washrooms in the parks are locked. Oh, these are these are significant issues that need to be fixed because they affect how people can treat the city, uh, how people's lives in the city uh, proceed. But where people truly at the end of the day feel it is in housing uh, and in transit, the things that make up pretty big parts of their day and cost them quite a bit of money, particularly housing, obviously. Um, do you have a sense as to whether or not 
quite plainly, she can bring down the cost or help stabilize the cost of housing in Toronto uh, in general and whether or not she can deliver sufficient affordable housing to to protect those who who have the hardest time making ends meet and keeping themselves in shelter. Yeah, um, I think that there is like a big possibility of her being able to deliver that. Obviously, it's going to rely heavily on other levels of government. Um, but I do think this this thing about creating rent controlled housing will it's I think it's it's like, will the housing get affordable in six months? Probably not. Not because she's not working hard, but I, I don't think anyone can deliver that unless we like radically change like an upkeep our entire housing system. Um, but I do think that there are things that are kind of coming down the pike, like this 25,000 units of rent-controlled affordable housing that will have like lasting impacts, right? There are all of these people who are like clinging on to the little bits of like rent-controlled housing or co-op housing in the city. And they're the only ones who in many ways can survive um, with any kind of security. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side, all the housing that does, that is not rent-controlled is just from five years ago in 2018 when Ford came in. Um, that to me is always astonishing that how many people get impacted are impacted because the majority of the housing was not built, you know, within the last five years. But we're seeing so like the deep impacts of that. Um, and all this to say is that like there could be like in the next three years, hopefully, a significant decrease in housing prices and if like in and the increase in affordability. That might be in terms of like you know transit doesn't go up in prices, service services don't go up in prices. So there's like people are kind of feeling a little bit more relief. Um, and then with housing, having more rent control available. And there's also something to be said that there is an opportunity for Olivia Chow if she, you know, uses her organizing chops or whatnot um, and her ability to work with other levels of government to bring, maybe there is like a, a scenario. I mean, I would have never said this before, like yesterday and when with the green belt, uh, the whole thing like flew, like the doors flew wide open on the green belt and I mean, they closed, I guess, technically. But there's this, there's this opportunity to bring actual rental control mm -hmm. to the province. Maybe there is something that um, there there can be like a real concerted effort from the mayor's office, from civil society, from other levels, of, like other mayors and other municipalities to advocate for real rent control. Because I think we're now really feeling the impact of like what a, what uh the lack of brand control has led to and that yeah so i think that that's the where where she can maybe deliver not on the brand control but just like these little bits of pieces of change that can feel monumental to people's lives and maybe in three years time hopefully the cities will be in a lot better position what about transit projects is there hope that that some transit projects are going to get off the ground and finished. I mean, let's see what happens with the Eglinton line. Yeah. Um, but yeah. hopefully, I think that uh, with transit, the biggest thing right now, at least in an interim, that she can deliver is that are those service levels. Um, I think, like, I think everyone can say, okay, transit maybe five years ago was not great, but it's so much worse now, mm -hmm. right? Like, I did not know how 
good I had it. And I'm a I'm a big commuter. Um, so I think her being able to deliver on like reliable transit, even like a reliable bus service that like arrives when it says it's gonna come in five minutes, it's gonna come in five minutes and it's not gonna be like a 25 minute wait. I think those that will be an e- not an easy deliverable, but that could be a, a deliverable that we can all push for and can can achieve. Um, but and I and I do actually think that the average person really does care about like the potholes, the 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 crumbly sidewalks, the garbage, et cetera, et cetera, because people want a city that if they have a piece of trash, they can throw it in the garbage. That if they're riding their bike or driving their car, they won't lose a wheel because they go pothole. <laughs> so I, I feel like those are some also some easy, easy wins that the child administration can deliver and should. And also it, it it's it's one of those things that would cross like party lines or like ideal ideology because everyone no one wants that. Um, no one wants to have potholes in the streets. But unfortunately, mm. in the last two conservative administrations they haven't addressed those concerns at all. Like, I think the bar is pretty low in the sense, like, Tory didn't deliver on some basic stuff the city needs. Ford made it, also didn't do that. And now we have an administration, at least it's trying. Um, That's not, like, and they're not, they're trying hard, but I think we have to, as, like, the left, really push and support in getting some real deliverables. As the left, we should try to create the conditions for government to deliver for people because that's how we're losing people to the right. We're losing people to the right because there's all these people who are frustrated that they, you know, they pay taxes and they feel like the government should be there and it's not there and it doesn't help them and they don't feel like they're getting anything in return. And in some ways, that's like violating the social contract. And as as the left, we have a vested interest in making sure or helping governments deliver and restoring some faith in government so, you know, people don't turn to fascism. Yeah. Uh, Which some seem inclined to do already. Uh, I mean, it's... um, So the, the, the final thing, we have to talk about taxes. I mean, we can't... Alas, we can't have this episode not talk about taxes. Uh, every time, especially on the left, somebody talks about taxes, we go, we're off to the races. The city is has a structural uh, budget problem. <laughs> Obviously, there, need, there needs to be a new deal. In fact, every city in this country needs a new deal. We need to rethink cities, but that's a, that's a different question. As soon as the city says, we're going to talk about property tax increases, we're going to talk about taxing parking lots, uh, we're going to talk about a municipal service, uh, a municipal sales tax. I mean, it's just, you can't even have that discussion. Everyone loses their mind. But obviously, the, the Toronto has no choice. It's got to come up with new ways to fund the city. And to choose not to fund the city is to let it fall into disrepair. I mean, then you can't have affordable housing. You can't have transit. You can't have parks. You can't have accessible washrooms. You can't have garbage bins. So you've got to pay for it. Now, do you think that the, the administration can navigate the council and voters and come up with a revenue generation uh, scheme, plan, I should say, that can keep people from revolting, 
and, but also deliver this service and improvements that the city so desperately needs? I mean, I hope. Um, <laughs> I really hope so because it, the way that our finances are kind of laid out is if we don't have like massive amounts of money coming in, we're going to feel it. Like we're going to have service, devastating service cuts. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of different uh, nonprofit organizations who have been calling for like fiscal response, like a, a fiscal fr new fiscal framework, more taxes, more revenue streams. Um, and, and I think that that's sort of where we are at. It's like, how can we, you know, undo these decades of like conservative wiring of how taxes are evil and like all, the government just wants to get into your pocket and make your life difficult and like line their own. Um, how do we reframe what taxes are to what they really are, which is like an investment in in you like it's an investment in like making your life more affordable um at the end of the day if you yourself had to pay for your own garbage like pickup it's going to be a lot more expensive than paying municipal get taxes so i think that's the biggest hurdle that the child administration and also the left will have to face in this scenario and it's difficult for the city to be able to like tax wealth in the same way as other levels of government so in that way, as progressives, it's also difficult to like have that conversation sometimes. It's like, how do we have this conversation about increasing taxes? And when it's kind of difficult to to frame it a progressive way. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be it's a tough order. I do think, though, there there will have to be creative ways of making other more centrist, more middle of the road counselors to kind of. If if they're not voting to support these taxes, then they're then it's very explicit that they're supporting to cut services, because there there needs to be an accountability measure there. That's a little bit difficult though, to get at. Yeah, I, I, that that frame is is important. I mean, I we understand that you have to pay for things, and yet as soon as you you say okay, well then we're gonna have to collect some taxes. Well, yeah. not like that. The, the classic example is California, where you know a plebiscitarian democracy is very, very common. So you have all these uh, instances of people voting on things, and they vote for lower taxes and more services, which, which is a great deal until you bankrupt the state. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and let's hope that Toronto can manage a better plan, and that Olivia Chow can can lead that that struggle. Well, that brings us to time. There, there are so many things to talk about, but we've talked about a good chunk of them, which I think is a pretty good start for two months in uh, to the mayoralty. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great to be here. And as always, thanks to Carolyn Smith, Ross Clark, and Aisha Jara, who make the show not just possible, but infinitely better than it would be without them. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly have. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk foreign policy, which, uh, you know, as you may know, is on the docket these days. So be sure to tune in for that one. We'll see you back here in two weeks.